listening to sermons from South Point McDonough, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. quick before we jump into a few uh, ways that you can um, be part of South Point and the mission of God here with us. Friday night, the reason these lights are up, Friday night we had uh, a dinner for the band and the AV team. And so these, these folks, they show up week in, week out, and so many of you do. So many of you show up to make sure the bread and juice and coffee is out to make sure this place is open to make sure that there is a smiling, hopefully, face around, to make sure it's clean, to make sure that your kids are taken care of. Again, hopefully my kids are taken care of back here. Uh, So many folks serve so faithfully. Um, They get here early. And so I just want to say thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart to be able to be part of a church family who is committed to serving those in this room, the little ones who were up there. Uh, What a blessing and a gift from God to know that they're not just back there singing songs and hearing stories that they could somewhere else, Um, but they are singing and learning about who Jesus is and what he has done. And so I know both of my kids, one's back here in elementary, and I've got one in middle school. He's in Collide week in, week out with Chris. Um, And both of them are just being fed and nurtured not just physically having snacks and pizza on Wednesday nights, uh, but they're being fed and nurtured spiritually. And so uh, that's the kind of church that we are. That's the kind of church that we haven't arrived, but that we're striving to be. And it's because of y'all's faithfulness that we're able to do that. And so thank you. I mean, especially thank you to the AV team. They they go um, unnoticed so often because they're back there. Um, And not up here, you know, usually as soon as the service is over, if you saw somebody doing something really awesome on stage, you go up here and talk to them, right? Um, but so often nobody's like, man, the way you click that button, man, Jesse, you're killing it, bro. And maybe the online people, maybe they're thankful for Michael Adams this morning for running the cameras. But the sound, the, usually the AV people, they only get recognized if something's off, if something's messed up, right? And so if, uh, if you would, can we just say thank you to the AV team? Thank y'all so much. Yeah, the band gets here early. Y'all get here early uh, to practice throughout the week. And so thank y'all for leading us, serving us so well. Uh, A couple things that are coming up. Obviously, this is a big week. I did not realize that uh, Madeline Melton, she's back there with the kids today. And she told me that today is uh, actually like a social media day. It's a a special holiday. I said, well, the holiday is actually next Sunday. She said, no, today's a holiday also, uh, which that word, the derivative of the word, just interesting, a holy day. But it's a, uh, today is actually Twins Day. And so I just want to also give a shout out to me and David and uh, Caleb for all matching with blue tops and brown bottoms. I'm just kidding. We didn't plan that, but that's for free. So next Sunday, uh, next weekend is actually the real holiday, holy day though. Uh, So maybe you've heard about it. Next Saturday night, everybody say Saturday night. I would actually say this Saturday night, okay? Christmas Eve, somebody somebody asked me, they said, why did we not put the date on the slide? Well, 
Hopefully you know when Christmas is. If you don't, it's next Sunday, the 25th, December, every year. And so the night before that Christmas Eve, we have an annual Christmas Eve service. And so when you came in this morning, there was a card there in your seat. Uh, and this is for you to give to somebody. Uh, we've had, I, I talked to a couple of kids a couple of weeks ago, and they were like, yeah, I'm passing these out to everybody that I know. Super easy. Stick them in your kids' hands. You can um, make them, you know, put them in somebody's mailbox down the road. And then you can say, I, it wasn't me. I, I don't know. It wasn't me who was, I don't know what they call that, loitering, something like that. So, um, I don't know, proselytizing. Um, is, that, is that the biblical word? Uh, so, hand these out. These are not for you. These are for you to take to somebody else. So, that's Saturday night right here. We have one service this year. It's at 5 p.m. Everybody say 5 p.m. Okay. We have one here in McDonough, one in Locust Grove. And somebody, some, a couple of folks have asked, are we having a Sunday morning service? And I said, let me ask you this. Did Jesus rise from the dead on a Sunday morning? This person didn't know, so I said yes. They were like most of y'all. I'm just kidding. Uh, but we are going to have a Christmas morning service. If you can't be here, um, I'll let the Spirit deal with that one. But um, we're going to celebrate presents beforehand, and then we're going to remember that it's the Lord's Day, not just uh, today on a Sunday, but every Sunday, including Christmas Day. So um, that's kind of uh, for free. So that's uh, Christmas morning. We will be here. It will be an abbreviated service, just so you know. If you have family in town, you can come dressed up. You don't have to get super dressed up, pajamas, whatever you want to do. But next Sunday morning, we are going to be meeting right here at 1030 uh, for a Christmas morning service. Uh, something, if you want to on your way out, maybe you saw a Christmas tree that has ornaments on it. That's called the angel tree. Grab some ornaments off of that. One, two, ten, however many you want to. Grab some ornaments on the back of those ornaments. I got two ornaments here. That one says pull-ups, sizes two through five. This one says an infant car seat. Those are probably vastly different cost items. And so make sure you check that out before you get one, two, three, four, ten, okay? Um, but grab those ornaments, go and buy those items and bring them back by the end of the year. All of those items are going to the Henry County Pregnancy Resource Center. And those go to women, uh, to moms who have decided to choose life. And a lot of times they can't actually afford the child, which is why they were in limbo beforehand. And we want to be able to say, hey, we support life. We are in favor of life, not just philosophically or not just uh, on social media, but practically. And so here are some ways that we want to support life by supporting you as a mom with pull-ups, with diapers, with car seats, uh, with boppy pillows, with all kinds of stuff. And so make sure you grab some ornaments on your way out. Bring those back sometime this year uh, on, the, on the angel tree. Lastly, if you're new here to South Point, we have a connect card for you, uh, and it's kind of for us. But uh, fill that out while I'm preaching during the last song, whatever that is, fill that out. Let us know that you are here. Thank you, like David said before. Thank you so much for choosing to worship with us this morning. We're thrilled that you're here on this almost Christmas Sunday. Um, fill that out. What we'll do is we'll just say, uh, we'll send you an email, we'll send you a text uh, saying thanks for being here this morning for worshiping with us. A little more information about us so we can serve you and your family and so you can serve the mission of God here with us. So grab that, take it to the Next Steps table there in the atrium um, and we would, we would love to connect with you later this week. See if we can answer any questions. All right, let's shift gears. So we are in this series called Advent. Today is the fourth Sunday, and some of y'all are like, man, who is this guy? Uh, I'm Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. I haven't been here for the past almost month. Uh, one of those Sundays, I was in Locust Grove. A couple of those Sundays, I was back here playing in the band. Uh, but yeah, so I picked, I got to preach on this word called hope. Before we jump into hope, I want to settle a couple of things with us. Knowing that this is Christmas season, there are um, undoubtedly some 
uh, we'll call them conversation pieces, some controversies in our homes for many of us. And so here's what I want to do. I want to, in just a moment, I'm going to put some, a few different controversies. I think I have four of them, controversial topics or subjects. And we're going to take a vote. So this morning, December 18th, 2022, we're going to settle a few controversies so that when you meet with your family today or later this week or next week, whenever that is, you have no more controversy about some of these things. Everybody ready? So the first controversy that we have is Elf on the Shelf. So here's, I need some crowd participation. So I'm going to ask you, first of all, and I'm going to have you cheer, clap, snap, stomp, holler, who, like whatever you want to do. But we need to figure out, is Elf on the Shelf cute or creepy? Okay. All right. So here, if you are in the cute category, let me hear you. All right, so like four sinners. Okay, if you were in the creepy category, up on the shelf is creepy, let me hear you. Sorry, sorry, both of y'all. All All right, the next one is this, uh, colored or white lights. Now, this one is not so much a controversy in my home, but uh, this, where my wife came from, this has been a controversy down um, in her neck of the woods for years, and she's very much a white lights person. Her parents are very much not. So, if you are a, and this is like only, right? You go by some houses and they still can't figure this out. It's like the license plate on the you know, front of the, the car. It's like a house divided, Georgia and Florida. They're like, you know what? We're just gonna throw up colored lights and white lights and we just all, all just, I'm like, yeah, man, just pick one. Okay, so if you are a colored lights only person, let me hear you. Okay, a few more than the cute uh, elf on the shelf. If you are a white lights only person, let me hear you. And if you're like my wife, you are in favor of your husband putting the white lights on the Christmas tree, the live Fraser fir, that was the most expensive tree at the Christmas tree farm, and making it look just like the Macy's Christmas tree because I'm paid the same amount of money as those yeah, Macy's people are. All right, the third one, the third controversy that we have is Die Hard. Is it a Christmas movie or is it not? Mm, I'm gonna let, I love like just stirring this one around the pot. It's really fun. Okay, if you would say that Die Hard is not a Christmas movie, let me hear you. Interesting. And for some of you, it's not really Christmas until John McClane is jumping off the Nakatomi Tower. Plaza. Plaza, yeah. I've only seen that movie once. Okay, so for some of you, it's not Christmas until John McClane is jumping off the Nakatomi Plaza. Let me hear you. All right, so Die Hard emphatically is a Christmas movie. Okay, the last one we have here, real or fake Christmas trees. Some of y'all are like, man, you've been reading my mail, you know? People tell me that every now and then. I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is gonna create some interesting lunch conversations. Okay, if you are a fake Christmas tree person, let me hear you. (laughs) Interesting, interesting. Some of y'all got fired up about that one. Real Christmas tree people, let me hear you. That one's like 50-50. Maybe almost even more fake than real. I read this news article a couple weeks ago, uh, and it was about this lady in Australia. You know, you see the animals down in Australia, they're nuts. It's crazy. Uh, And you think Florida is wild, like with alligators. Australia is jacked up, man. And so this lady, she went and got a real Christmas tree. Just real quick, for the record, I'm a real Christmas tree kind of person, okay? I love them because I love my wife. So we, uh, real Christmas trees only always every year. 
This, uh, this lady in Australia, she goes out and she gets a Christmas tree. True story, by the way. And she comes back and she decorates her Christmas tree. She goes to bed. The next morning, she wakes up and she grabs a cup of coffee. She goes and sits down by her fire and she begins to adore her Christmas tree that she put up the night before. And as she's sitting there drinking her coffee, she notices an ornament near the top of the tree that she does not recall placing in that spot. As she goes up to the Christmas tree to see where this ornament came from, she realizes it is a six-foot king snake that was there in her real Christmas tree that had to have been there probably when she brought that Christmas tree home from the farm. So quick warning for all of you, I'm not trying to sway that vote one way or the other. I'm just trying to sway my wife's vote, okay? So that's for free. You don't have to title on that, anything. We are filled during this season with so much controversy with so many, right, all these things, they've been building for years, decades. But here's the one thing, friends, that we can all agree on, that we can all agree on this morning, is that our society, our culture, our souls are distraught. They're distraught. We, we see it everywhere, even during the season when we try to cover it up or like, you know what, let's just take all of our hopelessness, all of our brokenness and just set it aside just for a month, maybe two months, like, you know, from Halloween to the New Year's. Let's just set it aside. We know it's here. We still see it constantly on social media, in the news. We see it in the, in the healthcare profession. You see it in your home. You know it. You wake up and you feel just that distraught hopelessness Prescription medications are at an all-time high because we're dealing so much with worry and with anxiety and with doubt and with depression. We feel all of these things, and then we arrive at this season that we call Christmas, and we say, you know what we're going to do during Christmas is we're going to take all of this reality, and we're going to put this Band-Aid right across the top of it for about a month or two. And we're going to look forward to Christmas Day to give us some sort of hope or meaning or specialness, some sort of even minuscule momentary purpose in life. And like everybody just put your mask on. Everybody just put your ugly Christmas sweaters on and then just smile. It's Christmas time. We have no problems. Everything is perfect. It's all a mate, right? But then the next day will roll around. December 26th, and you're back into feeling, man, this hopelessness, this sinking feeling is still there. The world cannot offer a solution to hopelessness. So here's what I want us to see this morning is this definition and this solution of hope that is offered only in the scriptures. So if you're a note taker, I want you to begin here. Here's the definition that I've given to hope, and this is going to be up here on the screen. The definition that we have for hope is this this morning. Hope is groaning inwardly while waiting with confidence that the best is yet to come. So we're going to see here this tension. We don't have this yet. We're groaning. We're longing for something, and we know that it's going to happen, that it's true, that is sure, this longing and this certainty, both of these things constitute hope. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians, but uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians, 1 Thessalonians. Uh, but before we, we go there, I want you to repeat these words from Psalm chapter 119 with me. These are up on the screen. May this be our prayer this morning for God's spirit to illuminate his word to our hearts. Let's pray this together out loud. Open my eyes that I might receive your wonderful word to me. Yeah, so let's jump into 1 Thessalonians. We're gonna be in 1 Thessalonians chapter four. 
We're just looking at a handful of verses here. And I would encourage you, if you missed some of the sermons the past few weeks from Chris, or my dad was here two weeks ago speaking about love, and um, Caleb preached uh, several weeks ago. Man, it feels like forever ago. I would encourage you to go back on the podcast and listen to those sermons. Uh, they were fantastic, encouraging, convicting sermons during the season. First, First Thessalonians chapter 4, I'll get it right eventually. We're going to look at hope. Paul is writing here to the Christians, the believers, the church there in Thessalonica. He says this, beginning in verse number 13. He says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then... Those who are alive, who are left, will be called up together with them in the clouds to be the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So here we have Paul talking about hope. The context of this quickly is the Christians there in Thessalonica were confused. They had some misunderstandings about what death and sickness meant. They were looking forward to the soon coming of the Lord. He had just left several years before and they thought Jesus is about to come back. He said he's about to come back. He said he's going to come back soon, be ready. So hopefully he's gonna come back right now. I, I applaud the anxiousness of these folks, these waiting, longing, man, we can't wait to see Jesus. But here's where they were wrong, is that they thought those who were dead would not get to see Christ again. Or they thought that those who were sick, who were about to die, would not be able to see Jesus because they would not be physically well enough to go to where he was. So Paul here is addressing that, that misinterpretation of some of the things that he had said. He says, let me tell you what hope is. Here's what hope is. And he defines hope. We see right there in verse number 13. And he talks about looking back, looking forward. But before we discuss what hope is, I want us to see five things that hope is not. The first is this, hope is not simply emotion. Hope is not emotion. Now here's a caveat for you quickly. Hope includes emotion, but hope is not emotion only. When you look at your emotions, your emotions are like the indicator lights of your hopes and your desires that are deep within you. Your emotions are your indicator lights. They tell you what's actually happening beneath you what's happening inside of you. And so if, uh, if, you lose, if you're looking forward to something and all of a sudden it seems like you lose hope, if something doesn't work out, you're hoping for the best, you feel it emotionally, you feel it physically. You can feel that loss of hope in your gut, right? You're, and it can be something small. Uh, your, your, the team misses, your team misses the field goal, right? At the last second. You feel it in your gut. You feel it in your shoulders. You feel it, ah, Man, they missed it. There's emotion there. Hope includes emotion, but hope is not only emotion. The second thing that hope is not, it's not simply optimism. It's not just think positive. It's not just look at the brighter side. It's not just hunker down and just stay there and it's all gonna work out eventually. 
It's not simply optimism. That may be included in hope, but it's not only optimism. The third thing that hope is not, hope is not blind. Hope is not blind. Because while we may not know the future, we've seen this throughout the book of Daniel, we know the one who holds the future. We don't know the future, but hope guarantees that we know the one who holds the future. The fourth thing that hope is not, it's not wishful. It's not simply wishful. We hope a lot of things just kind of like, ah, man, I hope I win the lottery. I hope my team wins. I hope I get a raise. I hope the cop I just passed doesn't turn his lights on. That's all. We're like, oh, that's hope. But that's mostly wishful. There's no real confidence there. We've got a longing and a groaning. Man, I hope I don't get a ticket. I can't afford a 350 right? That's there, but there's no confidence there. So it's not real hope. Lastly, the fifth thing that hope is not, hope is not simply positive thinking. The lack of hope is not necessarily negative thinking either. So we were talking, we were actually talking this morning as a band in our devotional about negative thoughts, negative emotions. And we said negative emotions are not always bad. In fact, if you're hoping for something good and it doesn't work out, you don't just say, huh, oh well, negative bad, negative emotions bad. No. When you say, I don't have any negative, like I just want to process things simply in my mind, you're saying, I don't need to feel things. If I feel bad things, something's wrong. That's not good. If your kid falls and scrapes their knee, oh, well, that's just gravity. <laughs> I don't feel anything. Oh, yeah, I see the bone. We'll take you to the doctor. Here's the, no. We call those types of people psychopaths, <laughs> sociopaths. You can't feel any empathy. So it's not just hope. It's not just simply a positive thought versus a negative thought. But here's five things I want us to see this from the passage here that hope is. So we know that hope is not these things. The other thing that, by the way, that simple positive thinking leads us to, like we just saw in that analogy, is it, it leads us to a denial of reality. It's like, just look forward to the future. Don't worry about this constant longing, groaning here. Now, nothing's wrong. Nothing's wrong. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. It's all fine. Just band-aid over it. Hope holds both of these things in tension. We see right here in this passage, here, here are five things that hope is. The first thing, hope is shaped by the scriptures. Look at verse number 15 here with me. And remember back in 13, Paul says, here's how you know that you can have hope. Look at verse 15. For this we declare to you by the word from the Lord. He says, this is the word of God. This is where hope is coming from. That we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. He says, we have hope in God in the same way that somebody goes and takes a nap on a Sunday afternoon. Anybody with me? Praise God. During the second quarter of the Falcons game. Yeah, it's awesome. The same confidence that you have that you are going to wake up from that nap. You're not like, oh, Jesus, I hope I wake up from this nap. No, nobody's thinking that. Like, man, I'm going to go pass out. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to wake up. It's going to be chilly. I'm going to build a fire. I'm going to drink a, you know, hot um, tea, and it's just, it's just going to be amazing. Like, this is going to be a great day. He says the same, that same confidence that we have that we're going to wake up from that nap, we can have that same confidence because of the word of God that we're going to be with him forever, for all time. Romans chapter 15, it actually says this in verse number four. It says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. 
Yeah. We might have hope. He says, Paul is saying, all of this right here, all of this good stuff that we've seen for thousands of years because of all of these things, it was all written down so that today we might have hope. So hope is shaped by the scriptures. The second thing that we see is hope is based on the character of God. Hope is based on the character of God. We see the scriptures. We don't just look at the scriptures just individually. It all points to the author of the scriptures. Hebrews chapter six, it says this in verses 17 and 18. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his, sorry, of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, notice the character and nature of God here. His purpose, he guarantees it with his oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, it is impossible for what? For God to lie. His word must be sure. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. He says, look at the scriptures, look at the word of God. In there, we can see the character and nature of God. This must be true because God cannot lie to us. He cannot fail. He cannot change. His promises will be fulfilled. Amen? That's a good place to say amen. The third thing that hope is, hope is grounded in God's past actions. It's grounded in God's past actions. We've seen it throughout the book of Daniel. The Israelites are there in exile and they're groaning, waiting, longing, looking forward, saying, how long? How long until you show up? Because we know from the Old Testament scriptures, they knew this too, that God created the world. That even in the midst of the fall, he still said, I'm going to come down and be with you. We see that he's, he chose Abraham. He rescued his people out of slavery. He set up kings. He set up his nation of Israel. And here they're saying, how long? This longing, groaning, they're waiting, looking forward to this word advent with anticipation, this coming. But the hope that they had, even in the midst of exile, was based on what God had done. Was based on what God had done. Hope is grounded in God's past actions. The last thing, real quick, if you look back at verse number 14, we see that. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. The past action of Jesus Christ living, dying, being raised to life and ascending to the right hand of the Father, that is the ground and the basis of our hope. Our hope is grounded on what God has done. But it also leads us to this. The four things that we can be confident about the future. Hope is confident about the future. Notice what Paul says here in verse number 16. He says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. Then the dead in Christ will rise first. In verse number 16, notice he says this word for, based on all of these things, based on the Old Testament scriptures, based on the coming of Jesus Christ, based on the fact that God cannot lie, based on the fact that he is faithful, here's how you can have hope, for here is what is going to happen in the future. Then we get to verse number 17. Talk about Christmas controversies. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. This Word right here, 
this phrase caught up. This is where we get the word for this theology of the rapture. That's the same place we get this word for rapture. We're going to be caught up. Now, Paul's purpose in writing this is not a doctrinal reason. Now, is there doctrine all laden? under? Absolutely. His purpose in writing this was not simply theological. It was doxological. Everybody say doxological. That's just a fun word to say. Theology, the study of God. Doxology, the worship of God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. The doxology, we sing that. Notice here that Paul doesn't say, here's, here's the exact date and time that Jesus is going to be coming down from the heavens. He says, you're going to go up and meet him with the air, meet him in the air. Well, where are you meeting him? Is Jesus coming down to the earth to reign for a thousand years? Is, did the tribulation just finish? Are you going to meet him up there and then you're going back up into here? Well, I don't know, Paul. Can you help us here? Paul's like, that's not the point. Don't worry about it. The point is that God has a purpose for his people. That creation is going somewhere. The fact that Jesus is coming back, our hope is not in this, okay, let's figure it out. Let's get our flannel boards out and let's you know, push our wire rim glasses up higher on our noses and let's get the dates and times and let's look around. That's not the point. The point is to look at God and say, man, he is coming back. That's where our hope is. Not in figuring it out, but in knowing the one who is coming back. We can have confidence, friends, about the future that should lead us, just like the church here in Thessalonica, to be living in anticipation, not trying to figure it out. We should live lives of celebration. David asked the band this morning, he said something like, what would it look like um, when we think about living in heaven for all time? We're going to be singing, glorifying God forever. How does that impact our lives today? It's like, man, we don't really think about that. Because most of the time, the future post-death doesn't really impact our lives now. We're so consumed with what's going to happen next Sunday, what's going to happen tomorrow at work. I can't wait for the weekend. What about next month? I'm looking forward to vacation, et cetera. But we're not worried about, man, what would it mean? What's it going to mean to glorify God for all time? And how does that impact our lives together? May we be people who are living with anticipation. The fifth thing that hope is, Hope is more powerful than death. Hope is more powerful than death. You see, we have here this, this past hope that Paul has talked about. He says, look through the old, thousands of years, here's what God has done. And we even have a couple thousand years of history on these folks of what God has done. Because even when Jesus Christ came, we know from that moment, Christ goes back up into heaven. The disciples start freaking out in this upper room. The Holy Spirit shows up. We have the church age. It's amazing. We can even look back and say, man, look at, look at all that God has done. So this past hope is here. Like, man, look at what God has done. And then Paul is saying, we have a future hope based on who God is and his character. Here's what he is going to do. So here's the equation for us this morning. Real simple. I know it's not math class. But past hope plus future hope equals present hope. We can live today in the present, in this tension between looking around and seeing things that are so beautiful and seeing things that are so evil. Dealing with life and with death. All around us, we're in this already not yet. His kingdom has been started, but it hasn't been completed. It hasn't been fulfilled quite yet. 
while we're in this already not yet state, here's what Christianity is not. Christianity is not simply happy, clappy, everything is awesome, every day is awesome. Stuck in your head for the rest of the day, okay? My pleasure. It's not everything is awesome. It's not, I want to live my best life now. I'm too blessed to be stressed. The Christian life is this. I can look despair and hopelessness in the face. I can feel the weight of worry and guilt and anxiety and shame and still have faith that Jesus Christ was raised to life. That is the greatest reality and that power is stronger than any power that may be affecting you this morning. That's the Christian life, friend. We live in the midst of this tension. That's why he says right there in verse number 18, therefore, whenever we're studying the Bible, what do we do with, with the word therefore? We ask, what's it there for? <sighs> okay, nerd alert. Okay, those are those people, theology, theology people. I'm just kidding, I am one. I love reading old dead guys. But he says, therefore, based on all of that, encourage one another. Take courage, take heart, be strengthened with these words, with what God has done. I want to go back to this statement. Hope is groaning inwardly while waiting with confidence that the best is yet to, you see the tension there? Now we see maybe a little better that tension. Here's where I am. Man, but we have confidence in that. We're not there yet. Here are five truths, five principles I want us to walk away with this morning. If you're a note taker, these will be individually up on the screen, but I have five of these. I don't know why five, but that's just the number that just resonated all throughout this sermon. So uh, five truths I want us to walk away with. The first one is this, is that the object of your hope determines how you live today. Whatever you're looking forward to in the future determines how you live today. And we all have an object of our hope. There's for all of us, something in the future that we're looking to for satisfaction. Whatever we see as being our deepest desire in the moment, even in the moment, whatever we see as being the ultimate good, we are going to spend our time on, spend our money on, spend our conversations on, our thought process. It's going to be what consumes us because our ultimate goal is that we are going to find satisfaction in whatever that object is. Nobody says, man, I'm going to hope in something, but it's just, it's just really lame. Like, I don't think you know what hope is. <laughs> no, we see hope as being the ultimate good for our lives. The object of our hope de determines how we live today. The second thing that I want us to see is this uh, juxtaposition of dead hope and living hope. Dead hope is this. It is what we look forward to that soon lies behind us. Dead hope is what we look forward to that soon lies behind us. You're like, hmm, where do we see this in our society? Well, in about 164 hours, you're going to see it in your home. Christmas morning, your kids are going to wake up, and they're going to go and begin opening presents, right? Side note, Christmas controversy, do you all open presents together, or do you go individually around the room? I, I don't know. That's just... I grew up, I've got trauma from, I'm dealing with it, okay? We were like individually around the room, then we had to write, write like thank you notes for each one. Thank you, Anna, I don't even know this person. Okay, so Christmas morning though, your kids are going to go and they're going to begin tearing open presents. And as soon as they open one present, they're, you know what? 
I'm satisfied with this, but you know what? Even better is more satisfaction. So let me go open another present. Then they go open another present, tear it open. Man, this is awesome. You know what's awesomer than two presents? Yeah. yeah even, even for not math class, this is pretty good. Y'all, y'all are on top of it. A third present. And they open all these presents. And then what happens? By like 10 o'clock, they're satisfied. They've reached satisfaction. They've hoped in Christmas morning in that present and then that present. And, that, and they're fully satisfied. Am I right, parents? No, because by one o'clock, they're, we don't even, you've lost half the junk, and then they're playing with boxes in your living room, right? They're playing with the boxes to all this mess. Like, man, kids, they're so dumb. Let me ask you this. <laughs> what about your life? What are you giving yourself to or hoping in, saying, man, if I just had a little more intimacy with a real person or a person on the screen, Man, just one more time, then I'll be satisfied, then I'll be fulfilled. How has that worked out for you? Last night, I ate some delicious steak. Found it on sale at Sam's. And I grilled that steak up. And guess what? I never want to eat steak again in my life. Right? No, that's not how it works. I can't wait to go home today to to put that leftover steak on a salad because I want to eat it twice. Like it was a, I, I want to eat it again. We do the same thing with rest. You ever wake up in the morning and you start planning when you're going to take a nap that day? And you just woke up. You just got a job promotion. Man, I can't wait to get to the next one. I just got a, you know, I just got a Christmas bonus. I can't wait to get a raise. We just came back from vacation. Where are we going to go next year? You know, you ever ask your spouse in, in the middle of lunch, what are we having for dinner? You know, so you're, you're hoping, man, I've been starving all day. What's the next meal, you know? We're constantly, what's right in front of us? I'm going to find my hope. I'm going to find my satisfaction. Here's the problem, friends, is that whatever you're looking to, intimacy, a job, a nap, sleep, rest, success, a raise, money, whatever it is, you don't need Jesus for any of those things. For none of those. They're all dead hope. It gets even worse. It's crazy that oftentimes we will even go to our living hope Jesus Christ, and ask him for our dead hopes. Man, where do our kids get it from? It must be movies. It can't be us, okay? So that's our, that's our dead hope. Let's compare and contrast that, though, with our living hope. We said that Christianity is not, hey, everything is just going to be beautiful, everything today. Hey, trust in Jesus, it's all going to be awesome. Christianity is not saying, okay, well, if you believe in Jesus, he's going to give you all of these things. All of your dreams, all of your wishes, it's all going to be fulfilled because he's just a, a sugar daddy and you just send him your wish list and he's going to say, naughty or nice, well, I will just check it off as nice. Okay, here you go. And, and all of your dreams, no, Christianity is this, living hope is this, not that you get everything that you want, but that Jesus is going to be with you in the midst and in the depth of your longing. Jesus is with you while you are waiting. You get the power and presence of Jesus. That is the promise of living hope. We only think in categories that we can control and that we can rearrange. 
That's how we think about life, about things, about jobs, families, locations, uh, what we're going to do with our time, with our resources. We only think in those categories. Can you imagine for a moment how boring life would be if there was no possibility of newness? Of newness. Man, that would be terrible. And here's how we often downplay the power of God. Now, we can't control God. His power is vast. This is in our minds. Here's how we often minimize his power and our expectancy of it. One of those ways is we actually begin to deaden that hope. We begin to deaden our desires. Maybe you've had some life group conversations like this. Um, man, I'm, I'm hoping that my husband would begin leading our family. I'm hoping for my wife, for my spouse. I'm hoping for these things. And somebody comes along and says, well, it just doesn't seem like your husband is really like that. That's not really who God created your husband to be. Well, maybe, maybe you should stop hoping in that thing. And here's what we do is we take that desire and we turn it into a bad thing. Is it a good thing to long for a husband that loves you and loves the Lord? Absolutely. Yes and amen. So we don't run to Christ and say, unless you give me that thing, I'm going to have no hope. No, we have hope that that is going to happen, that that spouse can be transformed. We don't deaden our hope. The other thing that we do often, and I'm a master at this, is uh, we turn our hopes into cynicism. We respond to our hopes with cynicism. Oh, there's no way. That, that's way beyond the realm of possibility. That hasn't happened in my 38 years of life. It's not going to happen now. I actually don't deserve that. There's, there's no reason in the world that God would provide that for me. It's just a broken world. I'm just looking forward to heaven. There's no sense in hoping today. Then we even throw this one in here. God's, God's sovereign. Let go and let God. Is God sovereign? Absolutely. Have you read the Psalms? The longing, the groaning, the pleading with the heart of the Father to say, please change this, transform this, show up in this way. So we have a dead hope versus a living hope. The third thing that I want us to see this morning is this, is that God can bring something beautiful from the hopeless, desperate, barren places of your life. You see, when God speaks, creation comes out of nothing, ex nihilo. When God speaks, light is brought from darkness. When God bends down and he takes a little bit of dirt and clay, and he breathes on it. We get life. We get humanity. We get the Imago Dei. When God speaks to a, a barren womb in this lady named Sarah, we get from that a covenant people. When God speaks to Pharaoh through Moses, we have now a community of people that comes out of slavery. And when God speaks through his angel Gabriel, we have a virgin, Mary, who gives birth to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God doesn't move simply because of how we live, because of how we act, because we ask him so many times. He doesn't move because of us. God acts and he moves because of his love and his compassion. He moves from his place of character. 
not because of how we live. And that's good news for us this morning because God can move despite the data of your life. So if you're sitting here thinking, well, this doesn't really make sense. This isn't reasonable. Can can I just tell you to, to look at the resurrection? When all else seemed hopeless, seemed powerless, Jesus Christ raised from the dead back to life. He could move from the barren, desperate, hopeless places of your life. The fourth thing that I want us to see this morning, the fourth truth to walk away with, is that the beauty of Christmas is that it's not just the start of, it's not, it's just the start of the story, it's not the end. Christmas is simply the beginning of the story, not the end. Revelation chapter 21, it says this in verse number five. And this is, again, looking kind of from the end. Today we're looking forward to this. But Revelation 21, five says, and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And friend, that is true for us today. This isn't the first time that we see God saying, I am making all things new. He says it beginning in the Old Testament. Jesus says this, and here we see him saying it again, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. One day, we're not going to have to deal with depression, with anxiety, with tumors, with brokenness, with divorce, with pain, with crying, with sorrow, because we're going to be in the presence of God for all time. But can I tell you something? When Jesus came the first time, what did he say when he performed a miracle, when he healed someone from those things? He said, the kingdom of God is right here in your midst today. The kingdom of God has been started. We're looking forward to one day as completion. So there's hope for us today. The last thing that I want to see is that we had an appointment with eternal death. We had an appointment with eternal death, but Jesus showed up in our place. He goes before us in this path of sorrow, of betrayal, of agony, of defeat, of loss, of misery, of anxiety, of hopelessness. He goes before us and now he turns around and says, I've endured that path. I've walked that path. I know that path. And that path that you're on, because he walked that, he can say, I don't just know that path, but I know you. Our hope is not in what God gives us. Our hope is in the presence and power of God himself. He is with us, Emmanuel, God with us. The 19th century Frederick Nietzsche, I was reading some of his writings a couple weeks ago, on hope, uh, atheist, uh, fatalist, I don't recommend him, okay? But he said this, he said, hope is the evil of all evils. Hope is the evil of all evils. He says, because in it, you are tormented in your longing and in your groaning. Can I ask you this? The, the word uh, appointment, the word disappoint means you miss an appointment, literally. You miss an appointment. Has anyone in here ever struggled with being disappointed with God? I know I have. Have you ever struggled with not having the answer to a prayer? I know I have. But we keep running back to God in hope. And we keep running back to him because of his character. Nietzsche would call that foolish. The Bible calls that hope. We keep responding to him because of who he is, because of what he has done. And in the midst of our loneliness, 
in the midst of our darkness, he promises to be there with us. He is our hope. Probably like you have ordered several packages from Amazon the past couple of months, really the past several weeks. I like to get uh, my orders, Christmas shopping done early. Uh, it just creates less stress waiting till the last minute. Uh, and so what's crazy though, you know, when Amazon drops a package off, I say drops up, when they throw a package off, you know, from the sidewalk onto your front porch, um, they'll often zoom in, you know, really far because they just chucked it. And uh, they'll zoom and take a picture of that package on your front porch. But here's what I do. Maybe you do the same thing. I order a package. I can track that package like every step of the way. And then it'll send me this notification. Hey, your package is 10 stops away, right? I can sit there and just be like, ah, here it comes, here it comes, yeah. But here's what I do instead of taking the logical approach. I keep going out and looking at my front door. Any, any packages out here? Nope. Did I get a notification from Amazon yet? No. So of course it's not going to be there, you know? I drive up my house. I look. I see any packages on the front porch. Look at the blinds. I see any packages on the front porch. With anticipation the whole time. Like, man, I can't wait to see this package. And then I get a notification from Amazon with a picture of the box on my front porch. I know it's my front porch because Shannon decorated it. I can see it. I can see what kind of tape is used on the box. I can see how big the box is. I can click on the order right there and say, this is the order. This is what I ordered for Axel for my Christmas present, right? All this stuff, all this amazing, fanciful, you know, thousands of dollars. I'm just kidding, buddy. I'm sorry. But I can see here are all the things I ordered. Here it is. It's like, well, why don't you just wait? till you get that notification and then walk out on the front porch and there's my box. You keep looking out. You keep peering through the window. You keep driving up and looking on the front porch because you have hope. You know it's going to happen. You have confidence that it's going to arrive eventually and we can see here it is. Here's where it is right here on my phone, but we're living with anticipation. Is it here yet? Is it here yet? No, all right. I can't wait for it to get here. You see the tension there? So we started here. Hope is groaning inwardly while waiting with confidence that the best is yet to come. I, uh, I, one of the controversies in my house forever has been, Christmas controversies, is when do we get to play Christmas music in the house? Because when it starts, man, it ain't stopping, right? Until usually post-New Year's. And so uh, every year I'm a post-Thanksgiving Christmas music starter kind of guy. And I want to wait till we get through the Lord's holiday of Thanksgiving. And uh, uh, I wish the church recognized that more officially, but they don't. And, uh, but I want to wait till then. Shannon likes to start it on November 1st. She thinks once the devil's holiday of Halloween is over, now we can actually start listening to Christmas music. And I'm like, man, can we wait till Thanksgiving? But let me tell you, this year I'm actually, she started Christmas music because, um, uh, I let her do whatever she wants to in my home and uh, while leading it <laughs> successfully. Uh, but she, she started Christmas music on November 1st per use. And I was okay with it this year. And here's why. Uh, because about a year and a half ago, um, I actually came to McDonough. I was in Locust Grove before. And the very last sermon I preached to McDonough was June, in Locust Grove was June 25th. That was a Sunday morning. And that Sunday morning, I'd been dealing with some, uh, some dizziness, uh, some lightheadedness, just not feeling great. And I got up on that Sunday morning, I was actually preaching Psalm 88, what Spurgeon called the dark night of the soul. And I asked a question that morning from, the, from Psalm chapter 88, oh God, where are you? When I stood up to read that passage, 
I opened my Bible to Psalm 88. I was really close. Uh, to Psalm 88, and my, the words were moving all around, the, all around my Bible. Could not see them. Couldn't see, the, I mean, literally at all. I was sitting here just like, man, I, I, can't, I can't tell what's going on. So I stopped and I prayed. If, uh, if the band ever stops in the middle of the song, it's because they started in the wrong key. So they had to stop and pray. It's just always a great transition. So I was, I was like, man, I'm, I've, I prayed to be able to see the words on the page. And opened my eyes. I could barely read the words. Made it through the sermon. And the next four months of my life were the absolute darkest days of my life. I, I don't know what the onset was. Um, I can go back and say, well, it was just a, um, a culmination of things in my personality, of my past, and my family, of my decisions, of pressure I put on myself, whatever it is. I can say, here is why this happened. So I began going to doctors. I, I, did, I didn't know why this was, uh, this was occurring. Uh, began going to doctors, not getting a whole lot of answers. I would go from one doctor to the next, to the next, to the next. All throughout that time period of last fall, 2021, um, it was difficult to stand and preach, literally. Um, I, I couldn't stand still or else I would move around. I couldn't, it's like, here's a thought, here's an idea that I had, and it was just out of my control. Uh, I began distancing myself from reality um, not intentionally, obviously, but uh, reality was something that I was just constantly pulling away from. I would be sitting there talking to you in the face, uh, to your face, and all of a sudden, you were just getting further and further away from me. Uh, my brain was playing tricks on me. I was seeing uh, things. I began hallucinating. Uh, even at night, I would close my eyes, and I, I couldn't close my eyes. I couldn't sleep because I would wake up with paralyzing fear. I would close my eyes when I did. It was like a room full of mirrors, like when you go to a, a carnival. And every single one of those mirrors was flying at me as fast as it could. And I would wake up just in a, uh, in a sweat, um, just scared for my life. Had no idea what was going on. No idea what was happening. The reason I say that, maybe this morning you can, you can identify with this, this sense of falling down a bottomless pit, a dark, bottomless pit, and you're just waiting to reach the bottom of it. And you never do. Hour after hour, day after day, week after week, month after month. You say, yeah, man, that's, that's me. That's where I am. Can I just tell you this morning, if, if you look around this room, sure, people are you know, semi-dressed up. Some people are more dressed up than others. Most everybody looks friendly but you are sitting in a room of brokenness. And so if you're like, man, I, nobody else understands what I'm dealing, through, dealing with, what I'm going through, maybe not. But can I let you know that those in this room, because I know some of your stories, I know my own story, you are not alone. We're broken, we're messed up. So if you're like, yeah, that's me, I would say, welcome. We're glad you're here. You're gonna fit right in. I began going to doctors. Uh, I, went, I went to eight or 10 different doctors. Every single one of them ran a, a battery of tests on me for my eyes, my nose, my sinuses. I had, um, I had MRIs, I had brain scans. I had everything. So I kept going from one doctor to the next, to the next, to the next. Um, and what was difficult is I was hoping, okay, maybe it's a brain tumor. Maybe my uh, hormones are off. Maybe my thyroid, maybe it's this. Maybe. Every single doctor I went to was like, yeah, we, we, everything looks fine. Even the brain doctor was like, very little activity, but it looks pretty normal. <laughs> he said, you're from Georgia, <laughs> you know, go dogs. And I left. But every single doctor I would go to, I would get back in my car and cry, just bawl my eyes out because I wanted to be able to fix it. 
I wanted to be able to control it. I never reached a point in my life where I was like, I can't rearrange the objects in my life and make this work. I got to the point, weeks and months of this, to where I was literally just going home every single night and laying on my couch and crying, bawling my eyes out for zero reason. I'd wake up in the morning, um, usually pretty late, just felt terrible. Uh, just felt like there was a, the weight of the world was on my head. If you go back and, and Shannon would sit here on the front row and uh, she would say, uh, yeah, you're just squinting the whole time you're preaching. I said, yeah, I can barely see. And it just feels like this weight is on, your, is on my forehead. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I would go outside and play with my kids for five or 10 minutes a day. And then I was done. I was shot, emotionally, physically spent and just go inside and cry. And she would say, why are you crying? I have absolutely no idea. We would go to dinner with uh, my extended family. I remember about this time last year, my brother came into town. We went to Chick-fil-A. It was great. Had a spicy sandwich. What, what's better than that? I went back in the, in the vehicle on the way home and just bawled my eyes out. Um, my boys began asking, what's wrong with dad? Where is dad? I wrote letters to both my boys. Um, and I put them in my, in my desk drawer. I told my wife about it. I said, if I'm not here one morning, when you wake up, if I'm gone forever, give those letters to my boys. I said, I don't know if it'll be me, if it'll be on me or if it'll be on something else that I'm not here. I began um, several times. I was driving from Locust Grove up here to McDonough. I would come here late at night in the building sometimes. And, um, and there were times I was driving down the road as fast as my little four-cylinder CRV would take me. And I remember thinking, man, let me see if I can find a tree, an oncoming 18-wheeler where I can just boom. Because I could not live like that anymore. It wasn't that I didn't want to. I wanted to stay alive. But it's just that fact, I was just like, I, I can't. I can't go on like this anymore. The only thing that kept me alive was Axel and Kingston. My, at the time, 10-year-old and 6-year-old. Finally, I, um, I went to one doctor. I went, I went to a psychiatrist, and they said, well, we're going to, uh, he, he said, you've been to all these other doctors. You've, been di you've, you've missed every single other diagnosis. I said, yeah. He said, all right, here's your diagnosis after, again, running a battery, a litany of tests. And I hated to go to this. I, man, growing up, that was, that was a, a moray. That was a, like, you just didn't do it. Uh, that was, nobody talked about going, you, you figure it out. You just keep praying, right? So I got diagnosed um, with panic anxiety and um, major depression disorder. And I'm not crying because I want you to feel bad for me. Um, I hate the fact that I've become a burden on people. Shannon, she asks me almost every day, hey, are you okay? And not just like a, hey, how'd you sleep last night? Hey, you doing okay? But she's asking me that because she wants me to stay around for at least a few more years. And I'll tell you this, in the middle of that darkness, when you feel like you're, it's, when things are so dark that you can't see your hand in front of your face, when you feel like there is no other way out, when you feel like it is never going to end. Can I tell you, friend, it's not medicine that's going to fix you. It's helpful, sure. 
It's not counseling that's going to fix you. It's incredibly helpful. It's not listening to uh, the best music. It's not the perfect diet. It's not being in perfect community. It's not waking up earlier or late. All of those things are, most of those things are incredibly helpful. Love those things. Your hope must be in Jesus Christ. Through all the layers, all the strata of the way that you were raised, of the way that you were treated, of the decisions that you made, of the people that you've interacted with, of the way that God made you, of the decisions, all these different things, there must be something deeper than all of that. And the anchor that we rely on is Jesus Christ. That's it. The reason I tell you that is to say, um, one, you, you may not be alone this morning. And the spirit, a spirit, a spirit, the Christmas spirit is certainly here. But secondly, I would say there is no other hope than Jesus Christ who will sustain. Hebrews chapter 11, you don't have to turn there with me if you don't want to, but I'll read this quickly. Hebrews chapter 11, it says this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the assurance of things what? Hoped for. Four. Maybe this morning you come in and your life is all together. You're like, man, I don't need a savior. I would say then you don't need faith. Maybe you don't need hope this morning. If, if everything in your life is all together, maybe you don't need a miracle. But if you come in this morning, you say, I'm in the midst of darkness. I'm in the depths of despair. I am desperate. I cannot give you, I cannot give you something that you can see. But I can say, run to Jesus Christ. Faith requires something that you cannot see. But we have the word of God, which says, this is what Christ has done. This is who God is. This is what is going to happen. We can have hope today through faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. First Peter begins like this. He says, your only hope is Jesus. First Peter, he says this in verse three, blessed be the God and father of our Lord and savior, Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. That's where we get that phrase, living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Living hope, friend, listen, only comes from being born again. It only comes from being born again. Jesus Christ could have been born a thousand times in a manger. But if he has never been born in you, then you are lost and you are without hope. And I would plead with you this morning to respond. May your hope be renewed. Hope is a, if your hope is a dead hope, then hope is a verb. You're hoping in something else. But in Jesus Christ, hope can be a noun because our hope is Christ and him alone. So I would plead with you to respond to him, to run to him, to look to him. He was born, he lived, but he died so that you could experience life forever. On your darkest days, on your loneliest days, on your most worrisome days, on your most anxious days, he's there with you. We're gonna celebrate and move into this time that we call communion. 
This time of communion is for believers, for those of us who have placed our faith and hope in Christ and in him alone. This is a reminder of the things that I've been talking about this morning, that we are broken. We need something outside of ourselves. This is a tangible physical reminder, something that we can see, taste, experience. But what's happening here is not just physical. We're able to experience and be reminded of the spiritual presence of Christ that we can't see this morning. Therein lies our hope. And so as we take this bread and put it in the juice, and we have stations set up around the room, I pray this morning that we, just like the Thessalonians here, in our longing and in our groaning, in our waiting, in our hoping, would be looking forward to seeing Jesus high and exalted when we are gonna be called home to be with him forever. Therein lies our hope. So let's participate, let's respond, let's repent, let's rejoice, let's remember with expectant hearts. Family, you're invited to join me.